hospitals hit by protesters. We have right. Angry demonstrations across the province against vaccine mandates and COVID rules. Targeted by hatred. I've never seen anything like that uh, in my life. The despicable threat made against a Muslim community in Langley. How RCMP are responding. And coyotes strike again. So these coyotes aren't scared of anybody. Three more attacks, including two kids. The plea to humans to stay away from Stanley Park. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. Chaos and disruption outside hospitals right across the province today as thousands of protesters vented their anger over vaccine mandates and COVID rules in general. That's despite the fact that a majority of British Columbians are fully vaccinated and support vaccine passports. Amadagahi reports. It was advertised as a protest for health freedom by Canadian frontline workers. Happening in cities across Canada, the online posters were welcoming everyone to attend. What why we're attacking you? Because you're the ones that are feeding you the masses. You should be doing the information. You should be tried for crimes against humanity. They took their signs and messages to the buildings where some people are hospitalized. And remember, we have rights. By mid-afternoon Wednesday, this was the scene right outside Vancouver General Hospital. I know that this group has identified themselves as frontline workers, but what I don't know is how many of them are actually frontline workers because we know by far the majority of frontline workers would not be protesting against something that we know saves lives and definitely would not be protest protesting in front of hospitals. Simultaneously, crowds, although not as large, took to hospitals in Prince George, Kelowna and Victoria. This all despite the fact that the majority of British Columbians are fully vaccinated and two-thirds support vaccine passports. The vaccine passport, you know, it's a slippery slope of where things are going in terms of freedoms. If you want to wear a seatbelt, that's your choice. If you want to wear a mask, that's your choice. But I don't want to live in a police state that says I have to get this chip and I have to go here and I have to follow these crazy restrictions. I spoke to some of the police officers who are diverting traffic here on Canby. They told me they were expecting only about 100 or 200 people at this protest. What they were surprised by was how many people showed up. We're here because we find it unfair that we are losing our jobs due to personal health choices. These women say they work in long-term care where staff will need to be vaccinated in BC. They're covering their face because speaking openly on camera worried them. We have the choice whether to get the vaccination or to be fired, yeah. which is quite unfortunate because last year's heroes and frontline workers are now this year's unemployed. Echoed by some claiming to be nurses. I've been pushed out of my job. I've been told that, oh, I'm just all of a sudden this huge risk. Although Vancouver Coastal Health says no one working in hospital or acute care has been told they need to be vaccinated. Emma Global News. 
And a slightly different view of today's anti-vaccination protests and a sad commentary from a BC doctor. Gareth Eason, a surgical oncologist for Interior Health, tweeting his video of the Kelowna protest today and saying, view from the OR today, the same OR that's running at over 60% capacity for the third week in a row due to an overwhelming number of COVID-positive unvaxxed hospitalizations. I've never been so disappointed in my community. $5,000 in fines have been handed out by University RCMP after a large frat party was broken up near UBC on Sunday. Officers say they saw hundreds of students gathering in the courtyard and inside several homes along Westbrook Mall. They say physically distancing wasn't possible. Few people were wearing masks and the gathering limits went far beyond the 50 people allowed within the current public health orders. Police say the event was also advertised on social media and a video of the party was posted online. RCMP are urging students to work together to make sure this upcoming school year is as safe as possible. All right, let's take a look now at today's COVID-19 numbers. We have 785 new cases. That brings our total active case number to 5,873. 199 patients are in hospital, 112 of them in the ICU. And we have had two more deaths from complications of the virus. Keith Baldry joins us now with one particular area of the province that's mm -hmm. raising new concerns, Keith, and it could mean another round of restrictions. Yes, indeed. We're talking about the Northern Health Authority, home to relatively few people. It's the lowest population base of all the health authorities, just about 300,000. But we've seen a sudden spike of numbers there going back well more than a week. Today, reporting the highest number of cases ever in the pandemic at 94. And I can tell you, talking to health officials, uh, targeted health measures are being considered now because of a number of factors. 483 active cases are in the north. That's a 134% increase in just two weeks. Congregated living arrangements on work sites are considered the prime source of the virus spreading and low vaccination rates continue to dominate less than 70 percent in so many areas in fact i just went through the list there are 20 community health service areas which are small towns in the north uh, are reporting less than 70 percent vaccination rate when the provincial average is nearing 85 percent the difference between 70 percent and 85 percent is huge in terms of what how the virus can spread so the health me targeted measures are being considered no final decision made yet it's going to be made in the next uh, few days but keep an eye on those northern health numbers both in terms of cases and hospitalizations 13 people are in a hospital in northern health that's double in just a little more than a week so that's troubling for public health uh, and they're going to keep an eye on this and targeted measures could be coming all right we'll see what they do thanks for that keith well the bc healthcare system has begun gearing up for a possible third covid19 booster shot for some people ted trenecki has the latest on when that might happen it is becoming increasingly clear that vaccine doses against COVID are here to stay. If you had your second shot in March, efficacy of that vaccine has dropped significantly. We know that around four, five or six months, the level of protecting antibodies or neutralizing antibodies that we develop as a result of the two doses of the vaccine, um, they start to fade. So studies have shown that the percentage of reduction is down to 33%, something like that. That's why many healthcare systems in first world countries are getting ready for a third dose. In BC, those with compromised immune systems and those in long-term care will be first in line. That would put us for most people in long-term care somewhere around October-ish, which means that we can, uh, so we're gearing up 
to be able to provide uh, a third dose around that period of time and um, it would be uh, uh, we'd be looking at uh, providing uh, influenza immunization around the same time. Countries like Israel and the United States are already launching the third dose, but BC says those countries delivered their first two doses just 12 weeks apart. And because we spread our shots further apart, the immunization here seems longer lasting. The data that we're seeing right now uh, uh, doesn't show that we need a booster dose yet. It may be sometime in the new year for the average uh, person, starting with age probably. And when it comes, it might be a modified vaccine. Ideally, it would be uh, based on the protein of the Delta variant because this is the one all over the world right now. So as the first world gears up for its third dose, the third world is still waiting for its first, leading to this recent criticism. As some richer countries hoard vaccines, they make a mockery, frankly, of vaccine equity. Only about 2% of Africa is fully vaccinated against COVID, and now the Delta variant is starting to surge there. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Well, back to school is just days away now, and parents are concerned about safety as COVID-19 continues to circulate. There are many questions about how the public school system will manage students and safety. Kamil Karamali went to an elementary school today looking for answers. With about a week left until the fall semester kicks off, we have additional sinks put in for hand washing. The Vancouver School Board wanted to show off how they plan on keeping students safe amid rising concerns of surging COVID-19 cases. No, that was that that box was put in in 2002. By taking us on a tour of this more than 100-year-old school in Vancouver. This is delivering a 100% outdoor air. First on the stop, ventilation. Every classroom we have that I can find has mechanical ventilation. Showing classrooms have fully functioning systems. Properly functioning and properly maintained, that is how you minimize the risk of transmission. In a Some spaced out desks, enhanced cleaning and other hygiene measures. The province has said masks will be mandatory in classrooms, but only for grades 4 to 12. BC has recently eliminated cohorts, meaning students will be free to mingle. And if you come with me, this is where parents' concerns really start to increase. The gymnasium, where kids will not be required to wear masks during high-intensity sports like basketball, and there won't be any capacity limits either. Any student who wants to can choose to continue to wear their mask during those activities. We're not making them take them off. And finally, a walk outside. To show an outdoor classroom, although not every school will have the option available to them. We try to offer it and support schools that want it. Many of these measures not enough for some parents who have been pushing for more safety protocols, like expanding the mask mandate to those below grade four as well. While teachers have also demanded better, more up-to-date ventilation systems, more testing and vaccination clinics inside schools. We have concern that the measures that have been put in place are inadequate and we'd like to see some stronger measures in place. Although many have said a vaccine mandate would make them breathe easier, the school board says that decision is solely up to the province. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Two children were bitten by coyotes in Stanley Park overnight. The attacks among three incidents over the past 24 hours. Aaron MacArthur is live at the park with the details. Uh, scary and frustrating, Aaron. What are conservation officials saying today? 
Yeah, frustrating for sure, Sophie. Things have actually changed this afternoon. The B.C. government putting out a statement this afternoon saying the Ministry of Forests will take an active management role in the coyote population in Stanley Park, and that will include lethal removal of animals in order to protect the public's safety. A big change from what Park Board officials and conservation officers were saying earlier in the week. Now, conservation officers had to put down a coyote Wednesday morning saying it, the animal was showing no fear of human, likely habituated to people feeding it. There have been 45 attacks, 45 reported attacks in Stanley Park since last December, and the Park Board has come under immense criticism for not doing enough to protect the public. The best they can do is close trails, close the park. These are temporary measures. Today, Park Board officials urging the public, pleading with the public not to feed animals. There's no one answer for this, and it's, uh, it's multifaceted, and we're looking at how we can address them all so that we don't find ourselves in this situation in another year, another five years, and another ten years. Uh, there's multiple uh, situational factors that uh, the Conservation Office Service are investigating, including the feeding of wildlife. It's incredibly difficult, as you know, to control access to Stanley Park. That said, uh, we are going to uh, do a few more things by adding some fencing that with some controlled access points uh, and doing our best to make sure that we're um, educating people about not coming into the park, um, but also then stopping them along the way. Now, the park will be closed 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. for the next two weeks at least until park board officials can figure out what a more permanent solution might look like. Here at Prospect Point, the owner of the cafe thinking about issuing or launching a lawsuit uh, saying that the park board is not doing enough to protect its business interests. Restaurants are excluded from this park closure, but they say people are staying away because of all the concern here. Tough, uh, tough situation they've been in for the past uh, 18 months. All right, thanks for that, Aaron. RCMP are investigating a shocking threat made against members of Langley's Muslim community. A letter was delivered to the Langley Islamic Centre with a chilling message telling them to shut the site down. How the community is responding and concerns about rising Islamophobia in Canada. Next on the News Hour. A horse drug in high demand. How humans are being warned not to take ivermectin and why some want to in the first place. That's later. And emergency at Langley Airport. Scary moments for a young pilot later on the news hour. Right now, though, RCMP are investigating an apparent hate crime after the Langley Islamic Center received a threatening letter that referenced the 2019 Christchurch mosque massacre that left 51 people dead. But as Emily Lazatin reports tonight, the community says while they're worried, they won't be intimidated. You wouldn't know from the outside, but this building is a place of worship for many of Langley's Muslim community. On Thursday, the Langley Islamic Center received a chilling letter. There was disgust and there was disappointment um, when I first saw it. It reads, you have two months to shut this place down or I will go full Brenton Tarrant on you mud slimes. Invaders must die. Followed by a Hitler reference. It's signed KKK. The man named in the letter is the Australian white supremacist who killed 51 people at two mosques in New Zealand in 2019. I've never seen anything like that uh, in my life, uh, and the community hasn't seen anything like that um, out there. The threatening letter being investigated 
as a hate crime. We are liaising with the BC Hate Crime Unit as well as INSET, the Integrated National Security Enforcement Team, um, to pursue those angles and, and whatnot in the investigation. All the available resources are being employed to, to look into this. But yet again, the sense of safety one should feel in a place of worship diminished with this act of hate. We're clearly in the midst of a crisis here, one in which hate, systemic racism um, and Islamophobia are, are, are on rise. Canada isn't immune to religious threats and attacks. In January 2017, six people were killed when a man opened fire at the Islamic Cultural Centre of Quebec. Back in June, a Muslim family out for an evening stroll, struck and killed by a 20-year-old driver in London, Ontario. And so that is why we have been calling uh, for a national action plan against white supremacy, uh, including changes to security infrastructure, uh, the creation of a hate crime ward, as well as um, an increase of, in, in the education sector. The Muslim community in Langley shaken but resilient with a full house attending prayers the very next day. We're not going to let um, any sort of cowardice um, seep into our communities. We're, we're stronger together. Emily Lazatin, Global News. Up next, mysterious disappearance. For her to go anywhere without her child is uncharacteristic for her. The search for a missing mother and why it's now in the hands of serious crimes. Plus... It's, it's not true that, uh, that Vancouver is accessible. It's just not. Stuck without a ride. The trouble with public transportation for people with disabilities. Good evening, and the good news is just cleared a stalled cube van southbound at the north end of the Botello Bridge. The bad news is the leftover volume remains. It's backed up through New West along McBride right to 10th Avenue, as well as the Columbia on-ramp is backed up under the bridge. From Home to Car Insurance, BCAA's local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. The weekend disappearance of a Langley woman is now a major crime investigation. 40-year-old Naomi Onatera was last seen Saturday and reported missing on Sunday. Grace Key joins us live with more. Grace, why have RCMP um, major crime taken over this case? Yeah, a couple of reasons. Part of it is just due to resources. The other part of this is that this is highly uncharacteristic of Naomi, and this is considered a high-risk file. Posters have been put up in the search for Langley resident Naomi Onatera. The elementary school teacher and mother has been missing since Saturday evening. Naomi was an absolute loving mother. Um, for her to go anywhere without her child is uncharacteristic. For her to go anywhere at night without a phone or her keys or anything else. Um, a hike or a daytime walk is characteristic of her, but not something like this. The case has now been handed over to RCMP's serious crime investigators. Little is known about her disappearance and nothing is being ruled out. The fact that this behavior is so out of character for her is, is, is another reason that it has elevated it to a, to a higher risk file. So it's obviously very concerning that uh, we're now approaching the fourth, I guess the fifth day that she's been missing and uh, with, with no indication of her having been anywhere. Naomi's husband last saw her Saturday evening leaving their home in the area of 200th Street and 50th Avenue. The next day, she was supposed to meet up with friends. She did have an engagement with a girlfriend for a brunch or a breakfast um, that she did not show up to. 
and then again did not show up to a dinner engagement with a different friend. The friend then contacted the mother, which then went to the house to go look for her when she wasn't there, and had it was stated that she had been missing for probably about 20 hours at that time. Uh, Then the police were called. Police released this photo of Naomi at a store on the day of her disappearance. The 40-year-old is 5 feet 9 inches tall, about 170 pounds, and was wearing a black top and black pants. She is loved by her family, loved by her community. Uh, Her little girl is her absolute world. um, And we just need to bring her home. Now, on Monday, Central Valley Search and Rescue did search through the floodplains just on the north part of Brookswood between 200 and 208, where Naomi is known to go for hikes. Now, they are going to be continuing a water search just by the Nickelmeckle and Bryden Park. Now, police are also asking for anyone who uh, lives in our area, just on the 200th Street and 50th Avenue, to download any security or dash cam video for them just between the days of the 28th at 6 p.m. to the 29th at 7 p.m. and to contact Langley RCMP. Sophie? All right, thanks for that. Grace Key reporting in Langley. Huge plumes of smoke could be seen over a winery in Delta this morning. The fire was spotted at Wellbrook Winery just after 7 a.m. It quickly destroyed a tent-like structure before spreading to a nearby barn. Investigators are still trying to figure out how the fire started, but it is not believed to be suspicious. Thankfully, no one was injured. Well, a man who uses a wheelchair who relies on working elevators at SkyTrain stations says he was left in the lurch while trying to come up with a plan B as the stadium station elevator is out of service. Jordan Armstrong tells us this is not the first time the man has been inconvenienced and he believes it's time for TransLink and others to step up their game. A good news government announcement at the PNE. Transit is now free. For British Columbians 12 and under. It's so important uh, for people to have access to affordable and convenient public transportation. Ah, access. For people with disabilities, there are still challenges. Before I even left, I checked TransLink's website, as I do, to see what elevators are out. And I see that the Stadium Chinatown elevator is out of service for four months. Sunday, Ben Dooley, who's a producer at CKNW, headed downtown to catch the Whitecaps match at BC Place. He took a taxi from Granville Station and got to the game no problem. But leaving? Total nightmare. I booked a cab through Yellow Cab's app at about 9.15, and I sat there, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited, until about 10 o'clock when I got a notification on the app that my ride had been cancelled. Inexplicably cancelled, says Dooley, who adds he doesn't even think of using Uber or Lyft because few, if any, of its drivers have wheelchair-friendly vehicles. We asked BC's Transportation Minister if he's concerned about the levels of accessible service provided by the taxi industry and ride-hailing firms. That should never happen to anybody, to leave somebody stranded like that. Going forward, we want to have options both in ride-hailing and taxi service uh, for people who have wheelchair needs to, to enhance their mobility throughout our region. Dooley has since received an apology from Yellow Cab, but remember this all started with a TransLink elevator supposedly being out of service, something he's experienced before. We do apologize for the inconvenience that this causes for people living with disabilities who require an elevator. Now it turns out the elevator was in service for Whitecaps game night, but Dooley says neither the TransLink website nor the SkyTrain PA announcements 
had been updated to reflect this. That, it, it makes you feel like you're forgotten because, you know, it's, it's, it's such an easy thing to, to, you know, put in a line on the website. It would have been, you know, a normal night out. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Now, TransLink tells Global News the elevator at Stadium Station will be open daily starting tomorrow and through September 19th, after which it will only be open weekends and game nights for the duration of that station's renovation. Ben Dooley would like to see an on-demand shuttle service for people with disabilities, similar to the bus bridge TransLink puts in place between stations when there's a SkyTrain breakdown. Just ahead, a drug for horses getting a lot of human interest. This is a product to kill parasites in the intestines of large animals. The medication touted as a COVID cure that's anything but. And later, taking back their travel advisory, how the U.S. is backtracking on its warning to American travelers coming to Canada. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. It's been two days since the first major hurricane to impact the United States made landfall. And across the Deep South, the scope of the damage is becoming more clear. Entire neighborhoods have been destroyed. And while the cleanup is just beginning, parts of the U.S. Northeast are still bracing. Global's Reggie Cicchini has more. Under the scorching southern sun, residents of a storm-ravaged Gulf Coast are in line to stay alive. I need gas, uh, gas, ice. We don't have any ice, water. There's a run on resources like fuel in Louisiana. And this is why. Virtually nothing has been left intact. 100% of all structures in Grand Isle destroyed. New Orleans residents are under a curfew at night after facing desperation all day. I don't have nothing, nobody to help me Oh, my relatives stayed and gone. Power restoration is slow. It could take weeks. It's an awesome responsibility. It's a Herculean effort that they have to put forth. The storm's destruction isn't limited to the deep south. It trundled through southern Virginia late Tuesday, unleashing a torrent of water. Washington, D.C.'s northern suburbs were hit as bands moved in early Wednesday, leaving the entire District of Columbia under a threat for tornadoes. Pennsylvania is in the bullseye for Ida's remnants. We're doing everything we can to prepare for further rainfall and to prepare for potential flooding. 200 millimeters or more of rain could fall through Thursday before the system moves into New York. Our poor friends down in Louisiana have gone through so much. Back in Louisiana, where President Joe Biden will visit on Friday, there's nothing left but memories and back-breaking labor. The living room and the bathroom back here, bedrooms over here. For many, they've been through this before, and it never gets any easier. It is heartbreak. Peak hurricane season is still days away, and after a ferocious start for exhausted and grief-stricken residents, the worst could still be to come. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. All right, let's bring in senior meteorologist Christy Gordon for a look at our weather forecast as we head into September uh, and a look back at a very hot and very dry uh, August, Christy. 
Yeah, hot and dry summer overall. In fact, though, when we look at the numbers for August, you'll be uh, surprised to see that we actually were near seasonal in terms of actual temperature. Here's a quick look, though, at the rainfall. Uh, when we look at August, the rain really just came in a few bouts at the beginning of August, breaking our dry stretch of weather. And then we had a number of circles, zeros there. You can see through much of August, it wasn't until the end that we started getting a little bit more moisture. Now, in terms of that temperature that I was mentioning, so in terms of rainfall, we were well below seasonal and we were through June and July as well but temperature wise we were near seasonal it was July and the end of June that was exceptionally hot looking at the overall summer temperature yes we were absolutely above seasonal in terms of smoky skies bulletin we only have one remaining that's the southern part of the Okanagan that area is still quite dry and hot whereas we're seeing some cloud cover and cooler conditions in the rest of the region tomorrow afternoon slight chance of showers in the southeastern corner otherwise hot and dry we do have a wave of moisture for Friday, but that's going to be just cloud cover for Metro Vancouver. It's not until late Saturday that we're expecting rainfall in our region, and that will take us into our Sunday morning. So overall, we've got sunshine on the way for our region, but it's that time of year that the temperatures at night start to drop. The nights get longer, so we start to see a little bit of fog, and you'll see that especially across southern regions out through the Fraser Valley and the west coast of Vancouver Island. We'll see some morning fog, but it shouldn't take long to clear that out, and we'll be left with sunshine and Highs ranging up to 25 degrees with humidity, though, feeling like 27. Friday, though, we'll see increasing cloud. And so far, our long weekend starts off a little bit wet. Not in the morning Saturday, but by Saturday late in the day, we'll start to see a little bit of rainfall. Tonight's Central Windows weather window is from Vancouver. This is looking out over English Bay. Judy sending us that. And that says the end of summer to me. Uh, if I don't know about you, Sophie, but I hate to actually say those actual <laughs> words, end of summer. I can't that believe I'm... That photo pretty much says it all. It definitely looks like the last days of summer. I mean, technically, it's not for another few weeks, but feeling like fall out there. That's right. Squire, you're shaking your head. Well, can't we have spring, summer, a little bit of fall, and then right back to spring and just bypass winter altogether? I, I mean, Christy's the expert there. <laughs> I know, I know. I feel like she's going to say no. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think she is, actually. Um, Ryan Gold has been very good for the Whitecaps so far, but he knows he can be better. More time, the confidence comes and the fitness pushes on and yeah, just looking to build game by game. And he's added a new wrinkle to his game, scoring with his head, something he didn't do a lot of in Europe. And coming up later, the COVID fatigue is so, so real. How to get through this fourth wave with your mental health still intact. He's got all of his scripts laid out like cards on a table. It's nice that you're allowed back at the desk. I know. I couldn't do this standing over there. I had to hold him. It was a real mess. It's still an experiment. We'll see how it goes. Really? I, I brushed. I used extra cologne. When Actually, Chris is back, we'll have to get you to stand again. Not that I don't always brush, folks. <laughs> I brush all the time. And use mouthwash. Uh, there is a lot of talk about Whitecats midfielder Ryan Gold, And for good reason. He's already... Vancouver's best player, and he hasn't played a full game yet. But he is doing something in North America that his fans back home in Scotland never saw much of, and that is scoring goals with his head rather than his feet, which isn't typical for a guy who supposedly stands five feet seven inches tall. Open space for 
we've all been blown away by Ryan Gold's exquisite pitch performances, but if you've been heady and paying close attention, you'll notice something similar with the way Gold's markers are finding the back of the net. It's Gold. He's got one back. He's got his second. Are you, uh, are you known for scoring headers? Not at all. I don't... I've only scored one in my career before coming here, and I've managed three in the last, I don't know, two or three weeks, so... It's been a bit of a surprise to myself as much as everyone else. A welcome surprise and more importantly, a much needed infusion of offense. Not only have Gold's goals been timely to help the Caps extend their MLS unbeaten streak to nine matches, he's also raised the play of everybody around him. Just don't call him the Whitecaps headmaster though. I guess we'll have to call you the headmaster now. That'll be your new nickname. They've called me the Scottish Peter Crouch now. That's my name. Finnan, first time cross, it's a great one, Crouch! Yeah! It's quite the compliment. Crouch bagged 108 Premier League goals and almost half of them came from headers. He also stands a full foot taller than Ryan Gold. No matter how he scores them in a Caps kit, Gold's teammates are more than impressed with their little big man. No, he's been phenomenal. He's made a difference every single game, whether he's starting or coming off the bench. I think it's what, four man of the matches in every single game he's played. It's, it's been a fantastic signing for the club. He helped the team, but the team is helping him too. So I think that if we continue on, on that road, we, he's going to make very good performance, but also the team is going to help him to make better performances. BC Lions quarterback Michael Riley has been named the CFL's Player of the Month or Performer of the Month for August, which is both amazing and a sign that it's taking every player a bit of time to get up to 100% after missing the entire 2020 season. Because Riley has not really been healthy, as we know. He's had the bad elbow, and he can play a lot better. He leads the CFL in passing yardage after four games, despite having one game where he threw only 128 yards. He's actually rushed for more touchdowns, and he's thrown four. He has three rushing TDs, two passing TDs. The Lions are off this week. They'll next play Ottawa at BC Place on September 11th. And former UBC Thunderbirds offensive lineman Dakota Shepley was claimed off of waivers today by the Seattle Seahawks. He has played with the New York Jets, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and recently San Francisco. And if that's not enough on his resume, he was also in Deadpool 2 as Omega Red. So did New England Patriots head coach Bill Belichick cut quarterback Cam Newton yesterday because of his unvaccinated status? That was the question. Let's see what he says. Did Cam's vaccination status have anything to do with him being released? No. No, we have other players on the team who aren't vaccinated, as I would say probably as every other team in the league. And we've had uh, minimal, but throughout the league, there have been a number of, quite a high number, I would say, of players who have you know, had the virus who have been vaccinated. Well, aside from Vancouver's Rebecca Marino, all the other Canadians in singles play at the U.S. Open tennis tournament are still in it. Today, Leila Annie Fernandez won her second-round match. She'll now have to face Naomi Osaka in round three. Also winning a second-round match today was Felix Oje Aliassim, taking on Bernabe Zapata-Morales. And it was a pretty easy one for Felix. Won the first set 7-6. That was a little bit tougher, but got stronger as the match went on. Coming to the net, winning the second set, 6-3, to three, and here we are in the third set. Mm-hmm. Felix 
is on to the next round as well. And a big shout out to the big man from Kamloops, Greg Stewart at the Paralympics in the F46 shot put event. Personal best and Paralympic record to win the gold medal. This man is the gentle giant, 72350. But it's all technique and shot put. He has both the size and the technique to wear gold. Congratulations. I was never good at shot put. Neither or was discus, I. I would just get well, I found the shot a little heavy. Me too. Yeah, see, that's our same, same problem. All right, Squire, thank you. Up next, fighting the pandemic blues. Stay with us. Growing COVID case numbers are disappointing and concerning to end the summer for many. Global's Morgan Black takes a look at what's weighing on many people through this fourth wave and what might help you to cope. This sucks. I was promised, you know, I'm not getting the reprieve I wanted. Feel familiar? Psychologist Sean Rogers says if you're out of sorts lately, that's normal. It's like carrying a heavy load and we all got to put it down or thought we would get to put it down. Uh, breathe a sigh of relief and now life will be better and now we're having to pick it up again. Earlier this year, we celebrated first doses. We saw COVID-19 case numbers drop dramatically. But with rising cases and hospitalizations, many people are back on edge during this fourth wave. Ultimately, stress is just coping. Wake up every day and see what happens. That's what Serena Tang is doing. She says she steeled herself for any scenario. Kind of knew that this would kind of happen, knowing that something would affect us, whether it was small or large, in fall. And so I'm not as disappointed as I think I might have been. Just like the waves of the pandemic, Tang has been up and down. We've gone through it, so it's you're ready for that kind of roller coaster. You have to give yourself permission to feel the way you feel. Rogers says exercise, a daily routine, and a good perspective can help build stress resilience. We have a rose bush in the front of our house. I can choose to focus on it has thorns and I get poked and that's awful. Or I can focus on the flowers are really beautiful and they smell nice. And that is a choice all of us can make each and every day. It helps to have ways to cope, but the psychologist says it also helps to acknowledge this is not what anyone wanted. The stress coming close to being lifted and then packed back on is almost worse than just having to knuckle down and keep your head down and keep working. It's a little bit of self-preservation, of course. Morgan Black, Global News. Also, I highly recommend cat videos on TikTok. They're very comforting and funny. Really? Well, yeah. <laughs> they make me laugh. Is that, isn't that what social media was invented for? Cat Just videos? Cat videos 24 7. Absolutely. Quick word on the weather before we go, Christy. <laughs> Sure, weather was invented for a little bit of sunshine. We've got more of it on the way for us tomorrow, so enjoy, everyone. Okay, go enjoy your cat videos now, everyone. Have a good night.